There are a lot of things that matter to me. Family, community, culture, and peace of mind. Hi, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when balancing life, I have to say nothing brings more comfort than having support. And when it comes to ensuring those things that matter to you the most, State Farm offers the support with an agent available in person or on the phone to discuss your coverage options. Support when you need it, however you choose. That's State Farm's way. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hola, Amar. Hey, Wilmer. So, here we are. Here we are. We made it. We made it. We made it. This is our season finale, and I am so proud to finish this journey with you. I want to hop right in, so why don't you tell everyone what's up this week? So, as we announced last week, we're turning the mic around for our final episode. The show has meant so much to the folks who worked on it, and we wanted to take a moment to hear from some of our crew members who have been working hard behind the scenes each week. Absolutely, and we thought there was no better way to honor the amazing workers we've spoken to than by sharing their personal impact on each of us. So we're going to start by doing a quick round of introductions, and then each member of the crew will present a clip of a conversation that has stuck with them from our time on Essential Voices. We'll then open it up to the group to further expand on what each story means to us. So without further ado, please welcome the crew of Essential Voices. My name is Adam Reynolds, and I'm one of the producers on the show. I'm Allison. I'm a producer on the show. Hey, I'm Kevin. I'm a consulting producer. Hi, I'm Leo. I'm an executive producer. I'm Lillian Holman. I'm one of the associate producers. And I'm Justin Cho. I'm one of the editors for the show. Our first clip was chosen by our editor, Justin Cho. He chose a clip from our second episode, which featured the story of Leticia Castillo Jenkins, who's a high school health teacher. Here's the clip. So, you know, I grew up in East LA and, you know, I was in high school, very into fitness. And I thought, you know what, I want to major in something fitness related. So I went to college and majored in kinesiology. And I was so interested in these courses because every time that they talked about communities and how we're impacted by different diseases, whether it's heart disease, cancer, high cholesterol, you name it. The Latinx community was up there. We were always winning in the worst cases in our community of this, that, and the other. And you're sitting there in your classes, and I'm not going to lie, I was surrounded by a lot of, you know, um, white majority in my classes. And it was a very lonely feeling having to hear our professors describe my community as we're in trouble, you know. We need a lot of experts out there to help these communities. And so it really opened up my eyes. I thought I would be a PE teacher. I switched immediately to a health teacher. I said, I want to teach health. I want to teach health. I want to teach young people 
about all this stuff that nobody ever told me. Like, what is a pap smear? What exactly is, you know, uh, you know eating disorders and, and, and then mental health issues? Is there something um, unexpected that you love about your work? Like, is there something like you're like, I didn't think I was going to love this part of my job. The fact that I love working with teenagers more than adults. I work with adults. We collaborate. There's a lot of great colleagues I have, but I don't want to spend my day with them. I want to be in a room full of crazy teens. I love all their trends, the quirkiest of personalities. I love it. I welcome it. I know that lots of older traditional teachers have that red flag when a certain type of student walks into the room like, oh, what are you wearing? And I'm like, I love it. I love what you're wearing. I love that hair. Oh, you'll be everyone's favorite teacher for sure. <laughs> so Leticia, moving on to, um, to this interesting time, right? I mean, talk a little bit about when you first learned about the pandemic, you know, specifically with your job, because nobody could predict that it was going to be this, you know? So what was like a conversation like? You know, I teach a big unit on HIV in our class because that's been the biggest virus that we need to still end and, and eradicate, and we're far from it. So when the pandemic was first being talked about on the news, I talked to my students about it. I said, hey, listen, we've talked about viruses. We talked about how they're transmitted. And I was using real current events to like make a point in my class about this is another virus. And this is why we need to always follow CDC, watch the news and listen to experts. I mean, this is how real my class is. I said, COVID worries me a lot more than HIV. HIV I'm in control of. This is different. This is droplets. You don't know where this has been. And so, you know, you got to be really careful of your whereabouts. Tell your parents that they need to be cautious. They need to move with caution. And I want to be real with them too. Like I'm going through things too, guys. Like I, I'm not feeling my best today. I'm very sad today. This is what happened to my family and the kids comforting me. But I've always known, Wilmer, how, how important educators are. And, and I just know that the public and the average person doesn't know it until we either have a teacher strike, a crazy bomb scare, and we have to close our schools and they don't know where to leave their kids, or in this case, the pandemic. And everybody's now like, where do I leave my kids? Where do, I don't know how to teach. And a lot of people who say, I can do online, it should be easy. It's not. You know your kid is missing out on some very important feelings and experiences and And you'd think that they would appreciate us more and we all hope that they would. But can I be honest? I don't think I don't think we will be. It's going to be back to normal at some point. And it's like teachers are expected to work to the bone and teachers need a lot of mental, emotional support. I think what made me choose this interview is due to my close ties with teachers in general. Even though I was kind of a troubled kid myself, I've always respected what they do and what they kind of have to go through. I mean, I was pretty a handful myself. It was also my high school teachers that played a huge part in what I wanted to do in the future, which was entertainment. And so Leticia's story really drew my attention. Finding out that Leticia wanted to provide real conversations about certain issues within health that most would deem inappropriate or too soon was very Interesting to hear, especially in the perspective of a health consultant. I do agree with Leticia when she mentions that minority populations are struggling in almost every aspect, including health. This parallels with the Korean American communities that I come from, and that is a whole other tangent. However, I think starting to have these conversations can really benefit every community, especially if it is done in a healthy, positive environment. I empathize with Leticia when she mentions that she had wished someone would have told her to potentially prepare or just to answer the curiosities that we as human beings just ache to fill, because that's how I felt as a teenager growing up. 
I also do understand the perspective of wanting to censor some parts of either the media or these certain topics that happen within our bodies. It's human instinct to protect those who are a lot younger than us. However, I think the way we deliver these messages can truly determine the positive outcome that we aim to look for. A fun little story, I recently watched a movie called Turning Red by Pixar, which follows a character that begins her state of puberty. It's such a great movie. I recommend to anyone. And I think it's a perfect example by Pixar because the communication is both clear and most importantly, very acutely animated, allowing the younger audience to both learn and enjoy the topic of puberty. And bringing this back, I wonder, what is our turning red? What are our methods in clearly communicating to our children, nieces, nephews, dogs, what have you, about our health and what is to come? This can go beyond health education, like social media, cyberbullying, COVID. So I give my full support to Leticia and her efforts in continuing to teach her students about health education, COVID, and how we should continue to remind those around us of preventative measures for any and all situations when it comes to knowing about our health. Also, just support your damn teachers. They all shaped you to where you are now, even if you slept through calculus, which I am very guilty of. But seriously, I think to all teachers, please know that we see you and we value you and we love you. You forget how teachers become, for so many minority communities, the authority on so many things. You know, there's this assumption that a teacher is supposed to know everything and that if they say it, it's true. Which goes to tell you about how responsible and the critical responsibility of a teacher in the lifespan right, of a child's and family's endeavor and education. And that's a really, really interesting thing to think about that we have to consider. We never look at them, look at them as humans, right? We look at them as this like wise, knowledgeable teacher who all they do is teach children. You know, we forget to picture them going home and having their own stresses. When I was in high school, I took advantage of that and never showed my appreciation. I definitely was the type of person who was consistently leaning on my teacher's a lot of them knew things about me that my parents didn't and maybe sometimes friends didn't as well. With that, like Leticia, being a health teacher and focusing on sex ed, she is kind of the perfect person to be delivering those messages. You can tell by the way she spoke and her passion for her students. Empowering our youth to speak up and speak their mind on certain things and giving them a sense of self in that is really interesting. And our two-year-old has started to voice his opinion on things of like, no, I don't like that. And so as a parent, even if it's a playful situation where you're tickling or romping around, whatever it is, you have to then switch over and register and say like, no, he's expressing something. You have to stop and empower them so that they know that those words mean something. I think a lot of times like parents either don't have the time or don't have the words and don't know how to communicate it of certain things. Like I'm definitely guilty of that. And I think we forget and take for granted how much teachers really do help shape our kids. We'll be right back after this break. I love sharing positive tips with my listeners on everything from health challenges to relationship troubles because life happens, baby, but you got this. Hi there. I'm Honey German, and I know we can all use some positive energy these days. That's why I make sure to empower my community, because a bit of motivation and support can go a long way. And luckily, we have State Farm to support us. Like when you talk to a State Farm agent to choose the coverage you need, and they have the options to protect the things you value most. It's the perfect positive tip you need. 
State Farm is also a big supporter of the My Cultura Podcast Network, where we as podcast hosts get to share our experiences and stories. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back to Essential Voices. Next up is the clip chosen by our producer, Kevin Rutkowski. The clip is from our fifth episode about legal aid work, and our essential worker was Trini Ocampo. Here's a bit of her story. I've always known that there's power in the law and understanding your rights and, and what you are entitled to. But I think knowing that not everyone knows that and has that and can utilize that power in the same way, it made me want to be able to help others and to advocate for others for their rights to be respected and honored. I got, got a call in the early evening that the city was, would be shutting down, our offices would be shutting down, and we need to pivot everything that we do overnight. And I remember being up until 1, 1.30 in the morning, changing messages, outgoing messages, wow. setting signage so that people could still access our services. Um, we had a lot of public facing clinics and that people could just walk into and get assistance with, you know, a variety of legal issues. And with all those shut down, we were kind of having to scramble to figure out, well, how will those people still get to us? Unfortunately, there were also people that didn't necessarily have the technology access. And so we're still coming up to our doors. And so how are we going to accommodate them? And so some staff are still going and making drives out to visit clients to make sure that we're understanding what documents they were served with, Mm -hmm. understanding what we can do for them. So it's been definitely challenging, but I remember that was a scramble, lots of phone calls, lots of emails, lots of coordination. And we were able to um, set up our remote operations, which we're doing now, I had the privilege of helping us find our essential workers for the show and some thought leaders for the roundtables. And I knew from day one when I was brought on that I wanted to have a legal aid advocate on the show. 
Essential Voices, the podcast, was really about challenging this idea of essential worker. And as such, I thought having a legal aid advocate on the show would challenge us to think about who are essential workers and kind of expand our idea of who these folks are in our community. Trini's story, as we heard, it shows us how critical legal aid advocates are for those in our communities who are most affected by systemic imbalances, those who are the most vulnerable in our community and how much they rely on legal aid advocates like Trini. I think what Trini spoke to and why I'm such a huge proponent for uplifting these types of legal aid advocates is not everyone has the same access to services as others. Who has access to online legal services? Who has access to email? Who has access to the softwares and technology you need should legal services be pivoted entirely online? And that's what came to light here. And Trini was talking about these warriors on the front lines in the legal services who had to go out to their communities still throughout a pandemic, who had to stay up late to put up those signs on the front doors because they are providers to their community. And not only that, in so many languages, right? These softwares don't exist beyond certain languages. They're not built and we're not equipped to assist our communities in a crisis like this at all times. All of this to say, you know, the law is only as good as a society that upholds them and protects our community members and really ensures that we all benefit from the benefits of the law. And that's who Trini is. That's who all of these legal aid advocates are. They ensure that although there might have been a eviction moratorium or a moratorium on increasing rents, that doesn't mean that it wasn't happening. And it certainly still was throughout the pandemic. And so we needed folks like legal aid advocates to end up for communities to ensure that they were healthy and safe just as much as everybody else who has extra resources, privileged resources and access. I remember this conversation super well, and I think it was in the essential worker interview with Trini that she talks about landlords literally taking doors off of their hinges because folks are late on rent because of the pandemic, because of potentially losing their work. And I just remember that image really sticking with me of like the audacity of a landlord to literally take a door off of its hinges for folks that are trying to feed their children, just trying to provide stable housing was just ghastly to think about. And then when we had that roundtable conversation with your mom and with Councilmember Raman, I remember Councilmember Raman talking about the permittive supportive housing that is trying to come up all around Los Angeles, but how once it gets proposed in certain places, people don't actually want it to be in their neighborhoods. But then it's like, well, what is the solution if you don't want it in your neighborhood? It's not as simple as just providing a bed and providing a shelter. Like it's so much more nuanced and there needs to be support for mental health resources and harm reduction. So like people are getting COVID safety supplies, all these different kinds of things that are not easily accessible. And I was so grateful to you for bringing us Trini and for your mom and Councilmember Raman for really expanding upon what is being done. And I think the point that she also made in that clip about you can't just stop at passing the law. There's that moment where you're like, oh, that's great. There was an eviction moratorium, but it doesn't mean that those landlords are going to follow that or that there's going to be abuses of these solutions that are coming out of City Hall or coming out of larger legal structures. When we're thinking about holistic solutions, we can't just stop at passing a bill. We have to be thinking about those legal aid workers who are protecting and making sure that those who might not even know that there is a law protecting them 
or the rights that they have are not being honored, that there are folks there to make sure that everyone knows. MR, you chose this clip, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. I actually chose our next clip. And our 10th episode highlighted the story of farm worker Blanca Arroyo. And I wanted to highlight it again today. We'll hear Blanca's story first in Spanish and then followed by an English translation. Que por nosotros, por muchos de, de, como yo, mis compañeros, muchas personas que no tenían el, no tenían que salir a trabajar en, cuando empezó la pandemia, tenían fruta, tenían verduras, tenían carnes, debido a que nosotros salíamos a trabajar y nosotros no teníamos el derecho de que a nosotros nos mandaban ayuda y no tengan miedo de hablar, no tengan miedo de decir sus derechos, sus derechos que somos vinimos a este país a salir adelante con nuestro esfuerzo, con nuestra dedicación en el trabajo, que si vienes con una meta de salir adelante, sigas tu meta, no te desvíes y que si tú tienes la oportunidad de que tu voz escuche por ti, por tus compañeros, no te dé miedo a hablar, no te dé miedo a decir um, lo que está pasando en, en, en tu cuadrilla, lo que está pasando en tu vida de trabajo, que tú digas si un empleador o un compañero de, de trabajo, tú miras una necesidad que él tenga y, y tú ves que alguien no lo ayuda, tú puedes decir, por favor, ayuden a mi compañero, no tener miedo, porque nuestra voz vale, nosotros valemos como personas, somos personas como todos los que están en este país. Sí me gustaría de verdad, de verdad, que vieran que somos humanos, que vieran que no somos una carga pública, no somos, somos como todas las personas que están en este país, legales o no legales, todos tenemos la misma importancia. Somos seres humanos más que nada, somos seres humanos con sentimientos, somos esenciales en este país. My name is Blanca Arroyo. I live in Monterrey County in the state of California. I spent more than 20 years working as a farm worker. If I continue working in the fields, I want to feel valued. No matter how little myself or my colleagues have, because we are the people who never stopped working when the pandemic started. When the pandemic started, people still had fruit. They had vegetables. They had meat. Because we went out to work. And we did not have the right to receive help from the government. What I really, really want is for people to see that we are human. Let them see that we are not a public burden. We're not. We are like all the people who are in this country, whether here legally or illegally. We are all equally important as human beings. More than anything, we are human beings with feelings. We are essential in this country. My message would be that your work, the work of all the farm workers is recognized. And don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to state your rights. Ask for your rights. We came to this country to get ahead um, with our effort, with 
our dedication at work that if you come with a goal of getting ahead, follow your goal. Do not deviate. And that if you have the opportunity to have your voice heard by your colleagues, don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to say, um, what is happening to your team? What is happening in your work life? That you speak up, whether it's to an employer or a coworker, you speak up if you see someone has a need and that no one is helping. You can say, please help my colleague. Don't be scared because our voice counts. We matter as people. We are people like everyone else in this country. This episode, I think it really, for me, like touched upon a lot of the stuff that I had been thinking about at home throughout the pandemic, doing the work that I do and hearing Blanca be such a honest and vulnerable and just like fearless advocate for herself. It was one of the first recordings where when I heard her speak so candidly about speaking up for her rights, being an advocate, not only for herself, but for her colleagues and encouraging her colleagues and understanding how essential her work has been throughout the pandemic and speaking about it so beautifully, that really touched me because for so many immigrants who have their heads down, just working, 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 not taking us moment to recognize like what I am doing is so invaluable and so essential and so important. It seemed like she had taken some of that time to understand how important her work was. And that made me feel really happy that she, even though she described working really long hours, and sometimes I remember she said that she'd go to the grocery store to get food for her kids and it would be empty. And she would think about the irony that she was the one working to literally tend to the fields and that yet she had no food for her kids. And I remember that being a really strong image and that her hands were responsible for literally feeding us throughout this pandemic. Monterey County is one of the biggest areas in California for produce. And it's likely that Blanca's hands were picking your broccoli that you were eating, that you were getting from the store, that maybe you weren't even going to the store, but you were having it delivered. And so I think there's this really intense, faceless, anonymous nature of essential workers where we talk about these invisible hands that just magically, mysteriously deliver our Amazon packages, deliver our USPS packages. They have a hand in everything that we're doing. And so Blanca, being an immigrant, being a mother, being so unabashedly proud of her work and her colleagues and her position as an immigrant, and then obviously to contextualize her story with Dolores and with Monica, just to me, I was so humbled and I, I was incredibly grateful to uplift this story and all the stories that we've done this season. And I was really grateful for Blanca in this moment. One thing that really pops up for me is finally having a conversation of understanding the ecosystem that actually exists and where a lot of it starts. It really starts on the field. It starts with their hands and it ends on our serenity. When I think about the, the pandemic and our ability to have food in our kitchens, I think about the ecosystem and I directly picture the thousands of migrant workers who are on the fields across the country providing the sanity that most people lost along the way of the pandemic. 
I used the word very often on every conversation and that was sobering. You know, we were kind of taught to think that a lot of this stuff was magically done. You went to the store and then there was this purely beautiful white bread that you made peanut butter and jelly with without understanding where it all came or how it got packaged or how it got delivered to that store in the first place. We don't think about those things. We think about the now. You know, having Dolores Huertas for me in that episode was iconic. I've done a lot of work with her through what goes into maybe 17 years of my activist life. And I know Kevin and I have experienced a lot of her greatness and many of the things that Kevin and I have done. And so when I think back of having her on our show, it was such a great validated moment for the why this show was important. Just to add one thing, I I hear stories like Blanca's and it's so hard to hear because I envision my mother. She is also an immigrant and Blanca's story really parallels with hers. And growing up, I have seen everything from people stealing from us viewing our service as a vending machine. And I feel like society is like that now. Our society is viewing this world as this perfect image of how the world should benefit ourselves. And I think we never think about who is actually providing the goods and services that feed our families. And we end up just strolling around the grocery store, just joking and playing around with the idea of what is the fruit of the week that's going to be in our fruit bowl today. And it's even more heartbreaking to hear that she's asking for respect. And it's so scary for minorities at the moment. It's always been scary for minorities to speak for ourselves. However, I think being heard is more important than being pushed aside. And I think that vulnerability of Blanca inspires me to speak out for my own community. Justin, it's so frustrating sometimes to hear that the one thing we're fighting for is just a little respect when really we should be asking for what we really deserve. You know, the acknowledgement for the contribution that many of our communities have done in hundreds of years to, you know, any country in the world. I appreciate this. My love goes to your mother, obviously, another hero of your family and another example of all of us, you know, who understand what what it's like to be an immigrant, what it's like to be, you know, in in a country where you come knowing nothing, where you sold everything you had when you came to America to just invest your last dollar in that savings account for a brighter, a more fuller refrigerator and just a little better education for your kids, the education that our parents sometimes never had. The bare minimum of that, we ask for the integrity, we ask for the values, you know, but we also ask for this respect, you know, and unfortunately it's not a two-way street when it comes to that. You know, we are expected to respect, (laughs) but we are not respected, you know, when we do. So I appreciate you bringing that up. There's a lot about these conversations and these essential conversations that have led me to understand the deficiency of our understanding and how we've yet to connect to just the bare value of why we are all in the same country. Yeah, hearing her say, I just want people to see that we are human beings with feelings made me really emotional. And what a cool thing that we can put out there and have people listen. It's so important. And I think in every conversation, I'm just so struck by the humanity and how much we all share. And I keep coming to that with every interview that we're listening to and definitely the one that I'm going to be speaking about later. So I'm just really proud to be a part of it and beautiful sentiment. We'll be right back after this break. I love sharing positive tips with my listeners on everything from health challenges to relationship troubles, because life happens, baby, but you got this. Hi there. I'm Honey German, and I know we can all use some positive energy these days. That's why I make sure to empower my community, because a bit of motivation and support can go a long way. And luckily, we have State Farm to support us. 
Like when you talk to a State Farm agent to choose the coverage you need, and they have the options to protect the things you value most. It's the perfect positive tip you need. State Farm is also a big supporter of the My Cultura podcast network, where we as podcast hosts get to share our experiences and stories. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back to Essential Voices. As we continue our journey around the table, we'll turn it over now to our executive producer, Leo Clem. Leo, by the way, without you, I would have never been able to do this. So just thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you for choosing the next clip from essential worker and owner of 40 Acres Fresh Market, Liz Abuna. She was featured in our 11th episode. So delivery service actually started about two months after I launched in February, 2018. And that was just a function of, I have more inventory than I sold at the market. How do I sell the rest of this inventory so I don't lose too much money? And so I was like, I put out on Facebook, I have all of this stuff, mark down on this spreadsheet what you want and I'll go deliver to you for like a $3 or $5 delivery fee. And that's how delivery started. And then I had friends who'd be like, I would use it, but this isn't convenient. Here's how you build something that's more convenient for people to use. And so over time, um, I was able to like create a, a small delivery platform. Now, before the pandemic, that delivery platform on a good week, and I mean a really, really solid week, might get seven orders. Mm. And so our main channel was, you know, going into these spaces and doing pop-up markets. Well, with the pandemic, those spaces basically closed down on us because everybody was closed. Um, so we couldn't do our markets there. So I think, it, no, I know the day. It was March 13th. We were supposed to have a market. We closed it down and we put on our website just order delivery. We'll give you free delivery for the weekend. Mm -hmm. And orders started coming in like first really slow. And then we we're like, wow, we just got five orders in one day. Wow. We're like, we've never gotten five orders in one day. And then by a week later, we were getting like 
10 orders a day, 15 orders a day. And by the end of the month, we were doing more revenue in delivery than we were in, than we'd ever done in pop-up markets. So I picked this essential worker interview solely because I feel like we saw a lot of essential workers pivoting as soon as the pandemic hit. I think Liz's pivot was very impressive and very much needed. And just to see how our business blossomed because of it was pretty great to hear. And as a consumer and someone who I'm sure all of us started using delivery services way more at the beginning of the pandemic because where else were we going to get things? I was approaching listening to these conversations specifically as a consumer and it helped me appreciate the people behind these delivery services. Kind of back to seeing her business blossom, she also spoke about the Black Lives Matter protests in the summer of 2020 and how that also affected the rise in her sales. And I thought that was a very interesting thing to bring up because she saw an intersection of different communities coming to her for her service. And although it wasn't the customer, she started her business to service. You know, she started making more money and that's great. But it had me thinking about the businesses in my community that I explored and interacted with that I previously might not had. And there was a pizzeria next door to my last apartment. And I was there every day. I became really good friends with the owner. And I think if it wasn't for the pandemic, I wouldn't have done that. So I really appreciate these services. Yeah, I just remember how brilliant Liz was because she told us the whole story of like how she started her business, which is called 40 Acres. And I remember her telling the story of looking around a neighborhood and just not seeing banks. There wasn't a grocery store and this was a predominantly Black community. And she was looking around and again, kind of goes back to all the different types of solutions we keep talking about. She talked about how often people jump to altruistic solutions or jump to bills and laws. And Liz's response was like, this is a customer base that has a need and I can fill it and built this whole business around it. I remember just that brilliance came up in her pivoting for the pandemic as well. And just constantly thinking about how I can run my business and take care of my community at the same time. That was really inspiring to me. I'm always just so impressed by yeah the resilience and the ability to adapt so quickly that we saw people firsthand with businesses. And my mom had a restaurant at the time during COVID and worked in Ojai, California and worked with the city of Ojai to help feed the seniors. And I watched her, you know, I even helped and would drive around and deliver firsthand and just so many cool programs and initiatives came out of this. And it was just so beautiful to see and how quickly people got together and organized. So I'm impressed. Next up is a clip chosen by associate producer Lillian Holman. She chose a clip from Dr. Lance Whitehair, who's a doctor working for the Indian Health Service. He was featured on our 12th episode. Do you have a story like that? Is there anything that, that you could share that, you know, a moment that, that you were a part of that you'll never forget that made you go, you know what, this is why I do what I do? This past week, um, I'm a, I was taking care of one of my uh, patients who has like a multiple sclerosis. So she's on a immunosuppressive medication and, um, and, uh, and she she she's obese her BMI is large it's it's uh, uh forty and and she's you know she's she's not she's almost like uh, like elderly but she got COVID and she got it very 
severely, and she almost kind of needed to be on um, um, invasive ventilation. But but like there's this there's kind of newer treatments that have uh, come out um, in the past like like few months. So I was one of the first ones to to get it, like implemented in this this hospital. So I I, I got her on that med and and she uh, um, recovered, but. Um, it took about like um, like a week and a half, and when I was discharging her, you know, like she was on like room air, no need for oxygen, and she's like, I, I she, she she told me she's I thought I was gonna die, I I really thought I was gonna die, and thank you, Doctor White Hair, you know, like like it was it's just so, you know, I I said I just wanted to to, to cry, but I just kind of like yeah. that smiled and. Gave her like a, like a like a nice hug. My views and opinions do not uh, uh, represent uh, Indian Health Service. My views and and uh, and statements like are my own. So we spoke to Dr. Whitehair last summer, and his story and the roundtable that followed with President Nez and Ali Young just has stuck with me. I've been thinking about it ever since for many many reasons, but I wanted to highlight this anecdote because it has a super happy, heartwarming ending, but it really highlights Dr. Whitehair's passion and innovation. He came to us with so much energy. He wanted to say about his work with the Indian Health Service and how much he cared. I always laughed because we had the self-care question. And when we kind of were like, how do you take care of yourself? He was kind of like, well, I love being at the hospital and I love being there. And it's actually really hard for me to get away. And I was like, you need to take care of yourself. So he really does love being there. And one thing that was just really inspiring is he was fighting tooth and nail throughout the pandemic to find the newest and most effective treatments for his patient. He was looking up innovative procedures. He was trying to make sure that he was on track with the latest, most effective treatments, but he was also looking to see if there was new ones around the horizon. And you can hear that come to fruition in that story. Like that woman is alive because he fought for her and he fought to make sure that she didn't even have to be on a ventilator and that she was going to be okay. And that story as well, when I was looking back to it, it's just like, I really love that he highlights his patient's pre-existing conditions because we're at this moment when things are opening up again. And so many of us are now vaccinated and it means we get to do a lot more, but it also means that the most vulnerable and those who've always been the most vulnerable are those with pre-existing conditions. And it's folks like Dr. Whitehair who make sure that we don't forget about them and that we don't consider them expendable. Allie Young then expanded on this idea in the roundtable, and that really stuck with me because she talked about how the Navajo community put protecting their elders at the center of their COVID response. And that was actually how they got folks to follow a lot of the regulations and kept people safe. It was like, you are not just doing this for yourself. You are doing this to protect the elders in your family, the elders in your community. And when you're doing that, you're protecting the culture and you're protecting our traditions. Putting that and I hate to call it a spin, but putting that spin on it kind of really helped me when I thought about it, prioritize it's like, what are we protecting during a pandemic? And I think that was at the forefront of everything we talked about in that round table. And President Nez talked about how the Navajo community should be held up as a model for their COVID response. And like I said, like from a personal standpoint, they became my model. I was like, this is such a beautiful response to this situation. 
I was almost jealous in a way because they talked about coming together as families, as a community and staying home and taking advantage of your time to learn from each other. And even though I have a beautiful family that I stayed in touch with throughout the pandemic, I was sheltering by myself. And it was like, I think that was part of it. I was like, this community and these individuals, they just like took this moment to think about what their priorities were and how to protect them. And I found that really inspiring. Thank you. I've always been super passionate for that very reason. Their their spirit of preservation, you know, what they've had to fight against to keep the integrity of not just the reservation, but it's people's it's history, it's legacy, their values. You know, it's something that as a Latino, I could relate a number of levels. That's one thing that I want to point out, Ali Young, you know, she's the force of nature herself and she's done so much for that community and innovatively figure out many ways in how to bring those conversations to the forefront. I mean, the woman has been to the White House, for God's sake, you know, she's done her thing. But yeah, so I echo everything you said. I don't want to add anything because you spoke about it so beautifully. I think, Lily, what you're pointing to of this caring for elders, like that spirit is something that I feel like, you know, folks in the Latin, Latinx community, like we can really relate to this of just, you know, our family, we live with our families. We're intergenerational, like as all hell, even if we wish we weren't, we're they're around us all the time. And that means that we got to make sure that those who are older than us, who are more susceptible to getting COVID or to getting seriously sick from COVID are protected. Meanwhile, I still remember horrible conversations happening at large of like, well, why are the older members of the United States getting vaccinated before young people? Like that doesn't make any sense. Old people are just old and they're going to die anyways. I remember thinking to myself like, oh my gosh, that is so backwards. Like, why are people saying things like that? Why aren't we taking care of these elders who have laid the groundwork for us to literally be alive today? Why are we not paying our respect and making sure that they're protected? Because it'll trickle down and make sure the rest of our folks are protected. So I thought that their model, as you said, was something that we should all aspire to. I mean, I think the number that they gave at the time was like 80% vaccination rate or something at the time when like the U.S. population at large had like 50%. And it just goes to show that if you center care as one of the main mantras of your community, of your spiritual practice, of just the way that you are living your life, folks are going to respond to that when they are thinking about others and not only themselves. And I think we were in this moment of thinking about ourselves, not as much as others during the pandemic. So it was easier to not think about other people, especially given the amount of isolation that we experienced. So I think you, you said that really beautifully, Lily, and I'm really glad that you chose Dr. Whitehair's story because he was just a rock star and I really enjoyed his story. As we get closer to winding down, our second to last clip comes from executive producer Adam Reynolds. In our 13th episode, we spoke to grocery worker Ben Hess. Beautiful, Ben. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you chatting with me. You were one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show and develop this platform. Tell me a little bit how you got into this line of work. I mean, when did you get into how long ago you've been doing it and what you do? I've been working in grocery stores since um, the end of 2009. I started in Chicago because that's where about I'm from. And at first it was just kind of a needed a job, needed to do something. But at some point I realized I kind of, I kind of enjoy it a, a little bit. There's, there's definitely some neat things about being working in a grocery store or working with so many people or seeing so many people, uh, 
you're in the midst of it and, and things can get, can get real weird. And I'm a big fan of, of the real weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You really found a passion for this, right? So this is something you, you, uh, you appreciate the community, you appreciate your colleagues. And then there's like, there's a level of familiarity that comes with that, right? Yeah. I mean, it ebbs and flows. Like there's, there's definitely moments where I'm like, I've had enough. It is time for a career change. I have got to get out of here. <laughs> this is no more. And then there's times where it's like, yeah, this is, this is fine. What are, what are those, what are those moments? Like that when the ones you goes, this is fine. <sighs> Usually it's, it's when I have a, a customer come up to me and you know, they see something and they want to tell you a story more often than not. These, when I, the best relationships I strike up are with older folks. If you get younger folks there, they've got, they already got their headphones on, they're programmed, they're on their daily grind. They're not here to, to mess around. Yeah. And that's fine. I get, that's how I shop. But then, you know, to get to people that don't got a lot going on, come in, you know, like clockwork two or three times a week, they know your name and uh, you try to remember theirs. And they'll, they'll tell you about, you know, anything. I had, I had a guy who recognized a band patch. Um, I had on my, my shirt from the t a town that he used to live in. And he's like, I know those guys. He's like, I know those guys too. It's, oh. And then suddenly we were talking about bands and we're talking about instruments. This is how, you know, you break up the monotony because what I do every day is it stays pretty routine. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you could, you know, walk me a little bit through what your day is like. Uh, I think about, you know, how, how does that, how, what was that like, you know, for you, what you were working in and all of a sudden you get introduced to this pandemic and then, you know, your work now is all of a sudden is deemed essential, you know, and you're now have to really stay at work, you know, and really do what you got to do because it's bigger than us. How, how was that like for you? In the beginning, the first month or two, I got a lot of people saying, Thank you for being here. And you got a lot of jobs that are deemed, I guess, not, I hate to say the word non-essential, but, you know, people working from home, maybe office jobs. And you get these people come in and they say, thank you for being here. And it's, I understand that there is a sense of what they're trying to convey, but it's, I, this isn't a choice for me. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's not a, ch a choice for a lot of us. As we're seeing things kind of softly reopened up and rules being dropped, you know, as, as things progress, what, what ripples do you think have, have that, you know, what effects have it had on you personally? I mean, how, I know that you've probably had incidents with customers where someone snapped or something like that. And then do you feel like there's been a ripple effect to that? Like, how are you feeling? How are you feeling today? Um, I am feeling pretty good today, but I'm feeling pretty good today in part because of the changes in my life that I've had to make because of this ripple effect. I, I now take medication for my brain, uh, which was not something I did before last summer. And it's been a, it's been a real help. It might've benefited me probably before the pandemic, but it didn't become a necessity until you build up all this stress. There was, there was a point last year where I had a little bit of an outburst that wasn't great. And, um, and it was just me unloading on somebody. There was a misunderstanding and they got my, we got about three or four months of, of stress just smashed on them. And I went home and I cried not for the first time uh, that week. And it was just, 
It was awful. And I, so the silver lining is I have this tool now that makes things a little bit easier to handle. My solution isn't everyone's solution, but my problem is everyone's problem, which is, you know, you don't want to get sick. Ben's story was one that gave me all the feels. And I say that because there's a very large personality that comes across in hearing him talk and the way he starts the interview and and describing what he's doing. And you get this sense that he's a very content human being that has found a place in life that works for him. And there's a pace of life. There's an expect series of expectations. There's a predictability to it. Again, for me, it was the idea of touching on mental health and him being incredibly vulnerable and speaking to that. And the interview and conversation just taking a shift that I was not expecting it to take. And I just remember being floored by that. You know, I think it raises a much larger conversation around mental health and what we're doing. And, you know, I've certainly struggled with mental health issues. And I think we all have to a certain extent, but it's being able to break the stigma of not talking about it. And putting in that into conversation and normalizing that in a way that we can feel okay. It's like, yeah, I'm taking medication or I'm actively doing this to work on my mental health or this is a boundary for me and I need to protect this space so I can take care of myself. And, you know, I think it bleeds over into the work-life balance. It bleeds over into, you know, where we are with pharmaceuticals and the larger conversation of where we're going in terms of mental health and plant-based versus pharmaceutical medications. Again, very floored and, and honored that Ben was able to open up and be so vulnerable for us. So, you know, one of the things that I remember very dearly about this conversation was just Ben. He was so enthusiastic about the patch, you know, go, oh, you wear the patch, I'm wearing the patch. Like he found so many things to relate to his customers about, and he found that such community, the rude awakening of that community evolving with the pandemic and making it even more difficult for him to do what he once was finding a groove and love for. Some of our grocery workers really love working with vegetables and working with produce. And, you know, for every job, there's someone who has incredible passion for it. And I really respected that so much about him. There was a humanity. There was a a simpleness. There was a a contempt, like Adam says, to Ben that I just appreciated and respected so much. And I had so much fun talking to him. He was just a real conversation with a real dude, man. And he really opened up on some really vulnerable stuff. And I was really grateful because it really humanized that conversation for so many of us. To add on, I really appreciated Ben's honesty when he mentioned that he had no choice when it came to working within the grocery store. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that is something not one person would want to say, which I had no choice. And I recall Blanca's story since she is bringing in the product and Ben as the worker within the grocery store is facilitating the purchase. All of that requires an in-person service, which was so, so scary at the height of the pandemic and is still very scary. We really need to take his perspective and apply it to wherever we continue to go in grocery stores, even if it means to put up your mask before you enter. And I hope his voice really gets to our audience as it did to us so we can view grocery store workers as genuine people who may enjoy what they do like Ben and care for them like we do with any other essential worker. We'll be right back after this break. As an actor, a producer, and a proud Latino father, my days can get very busy, which is why I make sure to dedicate time to what's important, like supporting my community through my work, sharing my Colombian and Venezuelan culture, and being present for my family, which is everything to me. 
Hey everyone, it's Wilmer Valderrama. And we're reflecting on what matters most. I start by giving thanks for good support in my life whenever I need to make the big decisions. How about you? If it's insurance you need, State Farm is there to help you choose the right coverage for you. And State Farm offers great support 24-7. Just call an agent. State Farm is also a big supporter of Michael Tuda Podcast Network by helping to share our Latinx voices. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tuda shows wherever you get your podcasts. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back to Essential Voices. Finally, to wrap things up, we have a clip chosen by producer Allison Shano. She chose a clip from our 21st episode about EMS workers. The featured essential worker is paramedic Anthony Almojera. Please note that this conversation includes mentions of suicide. The magic of this job and the real high, when you go to a call and they're not breathing or talking, and then all of a sudden they get to the hospital and because of your interventions, they're breathing and talking. That's powerful, man. We also get to celebrate the life. You know, we get to sit there with the family and have a moment of what I call a grief transfer. You know, because I have to I have to kind of unload all that because I failed. Even though there's some extenuating service, I still take it as a failure. But I sit there with the family and they look at me and they say, thank you. Do you know what it's like to have somebody die and the family member goes, thank you? That means they saw what my partner and I were doing. They saw all the efforts given, and they're thankful that somebody else cared about their family as if it was their own. And that's what it feels like. You know, things slow down. You become a part of the family. The stranger is now my family. And you really feel like, you know, you're celebrating a life. Even if, even if that person dies, you're celebrating their life with them. While it does have a psychological impact, what we see, just for your own knowledge, EMS workers have the highest rates of suicides amongst 911 providers. So it's not like we see things and then we're able to let it go. Some of us, it follows us. I myself have had my own suicidal ideations. Normally, EMS in New York City does 3,500 to 4,000 runs a day. It went to 6,500, 7,000 runs a day. 
there's only about 4,100 of us. And we were running all over the city. Wilma, up until that point, I always thought because of the way I was brought up, because of some of my lifestyle practices and the experience in this job that had unlimited supply of empathy. What the pandemic showed me was I did not. I was going to calls that you feel like you can save them, 35-year-old people who couldn't breathe. They're talking to you. By the time we get them to the ambulance, they went into cardiac arrest. We couldn't get them back. We saw people die at a crazy clip. In one 16-hour shift for me, I had 13 cardiac arrests. 13 people that we couldn't get back. It wasn't just me, the medics and EMTs. I was never more proud of them, but I was also scared for them because they saw so much death, so much suffering. And then what really brought it home was we started to get sick. We started to get sick and we started to die. To this day, I've had 10 medics and EMTs pass away from COVID. I've also had four of them commit suicide. And I still have a whole slew of others that still have not been back to work because of COVID, because of COVID long haulers or other medical issues that arose from it. The fire department has been mismanaged for years. The short staffing we've been warning them about because EMS workers were 911 workers, right? When you call 911, you get cops, firefighters, EMS. But for some reason, EMS workers, they want to pay $35,000 less. They won't give them the same pay and benefits. So right now, at the height of the pandemic, 75% of my workforce had less than five years experience. That's not how you run a 911 agency. Right now, I work with EMTs and medics who work three jobs. I work three jobs. You shouldn't, as a paramedic in this city, in the busiest EMS service in the world, you should not have to work three jobs. When I have to work three jobs, you know who loses out? You, the citizen. I'm not focused on this job like I should be. I'm not available for this job like I should be. We have a lot of EMTs and medics who really do struggle because they have to work multiple jobs or they lost their jobs during the pandemic um, and we don't make enough. So uh, we, we set up a foundation. If I may, I can give you the website. Um, it's called the EMS FDNY Help Fund. If you went online and Googled EMS FDNY Help Fund, it'll take you to the website. Anybody who's willing, they can donate a dollar, $10. It goes towards helping the FDNY EMS EMTs and paramedics in their greatest times of need. We've been able to pay people's hospital bills. We've been able to pay people's back rent. I don't want to fight because somebody can't pay the rent. Or that, that fact that my partner, Greg, that passed away from COVID on this job, his family's only going to get three years pay and no medical benefits for life. If a firefighter, a cop in New York City dies on the job in the line of duty, their families get pay and benefits for life. I mean, we're not even equal in death. There's so much to say about this one. I mean, I was just so moved by his vulnerability and, and honesty and openness. But yeah, just so inspired by his leadership and daily fight for what's right. And I mean, that last statement about not even being equal in death, just there's no words. It's just so upsetting to hear, to hear that these workers are paid less and also that their family members will receive less. I mean, I wasn't aware of this disparity between the jobs in that industry and was really thankful that he shared that. And it's a huge problem. 
And, you know, I think overall, I was just so amazed by his outlook and his perspective. And it seems like he continued to reach for the positives throughout such a dark time. You know, this moment of a grief transfer and celebrating life with the family of someone that died in his care or, or survived and just that intimate moment and hearing about these families expressing love and appreciation towards him, even if it didn't go their way, you know, in the hardest moments of their life. It gives me so much perspective hearing his story. And I think we talked earlier about continuing to get busier. Everyone has so much going on in their life. And hearing this story reminds me to kind of check myself, you know, when I'm kind of in a negative spiral or complaining about something really silly and having the awareness and choice to be a better human and care about each other. I'm sure there's a lot others will chime in to say this one is there's a lot to unpack here. You know, it's it's no surprise. This one hit me really, really hard. The one thing I couldn't get out of my head is the fact that an MS worker had to work multiple jobs because that job wasn't enough for them. That they would go into a shift from like four in the morning to like noon, you know, and then they have to go check in at a restaurant. And all these jobs tend to be jobs of service as well, right? So they're going from one community to another community where they're just either a target or they're just enduring some other type of phenomenon. And I just felt so connected to his story for many reasons. One, because I love New York City. And two, the numbers just were incredibly traumatic to hear. You started understanding, you started thinking about the, the actual science, right? How it would work when you're on the ground. If you put, try to put their boots, you can't even imagine answering these many calls and actually going from home to home to home to home to home, looking at cases. And then anywhere along the way, you just lose yourself. And the losing of yourself is the one that hit me the hardest. As we know, mental health has been this popular conversation. How do you take care of yourself? What do you do for yourself? Like, you know, treat yourself with kindness. But in a situation like this, you're not really, not just not given the choice, but I feel even is further than that. It's like you have no time to actually even process what's happening to you while you're answering these many calls. And then you go from the high frequency of that and then check into your next job and maybe the third. When do you even stop to think about what did today do to me? And then you go beyond that. You're exhausted. And then you just got to go to sleep for about four to five hours because you got to check in. This vision, right? Doing the math and visualizing and wearing the hat made me so angry. It made me incredibly sad and even more disappointed that I didn't know more. It made me so disappointed in myself that I, I, and I don't want anyone to relate to this part, but I was so disappointed in myself because as someone who has understood community, has submerged himself in all the different areas of our incredible humans of service and these essential voices, how did I not know how bad this one was? And considering that one of these individuals saved my father's life. It's something that I, I'll never forget. And I'm so inspired that I am seriously going to develop a film or a show around this. And I'm in motion. I mean, my production company is already in internal conversations about how do we make this and what format is the most impactful, what signal is the brightest and widest that we can use to idolize this job and to hopefully get more people to want to take the job. But also before even entering it, can we fix what's broken about the job that should be heroic and celebrated and hopefully making the job feel like it's not only enough, but it's a career worth taking because we need individuals like them. 
Thank you for contextualizing that, Wilmer. I think that putting in perspective of processing everything you see and then going on to the next job and then to the next job and not taking time to think through and actually process that is pretty significant. And you have to wonder, it's like, what are the residual effects of that? And how long can you do? How long can you do that? What is your expiration date as a human being? Exactly. Actually, the day we released this episode, I got a call. I found out someone close to me actually went to the hospital and they specifically said on the call, they just said the EMS picked this person up there in the hospital and I got no other details. And I started crying to this person I, I didn't even know because they just happened to get my number through somehow. And it was specifically because we'd been reviewing this and you know we launched it that day. So I had all of these ideas in my mind when this was happening and I was crying for like five minutes just because of Anthony's story. But what was special was because I had that in my mind, I was able to put my trust in an individual that I've never met. And that person made it to the hospital. The EMS gave them the necessary thing to make sure that they were okay. That person's out of the hospital now. And it's because I was able to put my trust in those people. So that was really hard, uh, mm-hmm. hard day, especially because we launched this episode. So mad respect for the EMS community. As we look into the direction and where we're going next, I'm going to leave you all with just one question. After every word and every person and every story and, and every heart we shared in Essential Voices, we'll move away with the biggest question of it all. A question that we're going to have to answer and their audiences hopefully will search for. What is our role in all of these conversations? What is our role as a community when you are now aware, when you will finally know or what really takes to carry on, to survive, or to have sanity, to be at home, or just to raise your child? What is our role in all of these journeys that we all partake and intertwine with one another? So as we move off from Essential Voices, I know that this group of amazing visionaries and producers and voices and brilliant minds will carry these teachings, these lessons, and this awareness. We have a beautiful library of unbelievable and very well-crafted conversations that just so digestible to a point where it just becomes truth. So I'm grateful to every single one of you again. And thank you for trusting me and thank you for jumping on board on this thing. And I know that life will find a road for all of us to intertwine again. I just want to take a minute quickly. And I want to thank Wilmer, you were thanking all of us earlier. And I want to turn that light on you and just say that using your platform to highlight these stories that are often left untold is really, really meaningful for me. And to have you be leading these discussions. I mean, we had 30 plus of these essential worker interviews and you found something or multiple things to connect with, with all of these humans. You made everybody feel really comfortable getting vulnerable. You brought a lot of levity and joy and laughter and you knew how to say supportive, very comforting things at the right times. And not everybody can do that. I don't, I don't know if everybody knows that, but not everybody can do that. You know, like it's, it's a skill. 
And it shows your dedication to uplifting these stories, your dedication to your activism. And I just want to thank you for using your platform to do that on this show. I think regardless of how many listeners, these stories need to live on. So we should talk about how that can happen in the future because it is sort of a time capsule of this very... I love the word bananas. It's very bananas time that we've been living through the last couple of years. And it's, this show really has been a time capsule of, of what's been going on. So I just want to say, mil gracias and mucho amor. I truly can't think of a better note to end on, Wilmer. So thank you. Hey, Mart. Thank you. And I want to say thank you to our listeners. Thank you for joining us each week and giving us some of your precious time. We've all endured a lot in the past three years, and I'm honored to have been able to reflect on that experience with you. Please remember to continue to appreciate the essential voices in your lives and work to build a brighter future for all of us all. You know, this entire show, this season, you know, every episode, every conversation we had has been a, a transformative process uh, for all of us and a transformative opportunity to really see within ourselves and think about who can we be, how much more thoughtful can we be about our surroundings, our environment and the people that, that populate it. It's important that we take the responsibility to reach out to one another. And I hope that through this show, we were able to, for just that moment, just for that conversation, understand what it's like to be now <laughs> suddenly deemed essential. And I just want to thank you all for supporting everyone that was vulnerable in these conversations that allowed us to, to understand what they've been through. And, uh, you know, to everyone, all of our partners, the Michael Tudor Podcast Network, uh, to iHeart, to Clamor, to everyone that was part of the making of this show. Thank you very much for believing in this. You know, it's not your conventional show. It's definitely not your traditional format. Um, but what we were able to do is create a space that everyone could feel not only themselves, but heard and create a space that hopefully continues to be provided for everyone uh, who needs that space uh, everywhere else in the days of our lives. So all my love to you guys. Thank you so very much. And until next time, this is Essential Voices. Essential Voices with Wilmer Valderrama is produced by me, Mr. Raquel, Allison Shano, and Kevin Rutkowski, with production support from associate producer Lillian Holman, executive producers Wilmer Valderrama, Adam Reynolds, Leo Clem, and Aaron Hilliard. This episode was edited by Mr. Raquel, Sean Tracy, and Justin Cho, and features original music by Will Rosati. Special thanks again to this week's Essential Voices, Leticia Castillo-Jenkins, Trini Ocampo, Blanca Arroyo, Liz Abuna, Dr. Lance Whitehair, Ben Hess, and Anthony Almojera. This is a Clamor and WV Entertainment production in partnership with iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. There are a lot of things that matter to me. Family, community, culture, and peace of mind. Hi, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when balancing life, I have to say nothing brings more comfort than having support. And when it comes to ensuring those things that matter to you the most... State Farm offers the support with an agent available in person or on the phone to discuss your coverage options. Support when you need it, 
however you choose. That's State Farm's way. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career and here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.